had with my mother in increasing frequency have centered around her being surprised that I that I've changed my mind about something that I I like or or dislike. You know, you used to hate broccoli, Harrison. It's like, well, yes, 25 years ago that was true. Uh, some time has passed. Two plus decades later, my tastes have changed about some things like vegetables. I hate them at the point where I can say that sort of thing, and I, I don't think it's going to get better from what I hear, but here we are. Sometimes, though, the point there is sometimes it surprises our, our parents that there might be big changes as we get older. And yet, in some ways, it's the most natural thing in the world, not just that you appreciate new things, but but that you hit new stages of life as time passes. And at least Hosea 11, at least Hosea 11, says that Israel was God's son. Biblically, the Lord's people are his child. Now, God is not surprised when this happens, but like all children, God indeed ordains these things, but like all children, God's people must grow up, entailing different stages of life. And in Galatians 3, 23 to 29, Paul addressed that God-ordained shift from the church underage to the church of age. He noted the major division. We see it very plainly. Before faith came, explained in verses 23 and 24, and then now that faith has come, unpacked in 25 to 29, the major difference between God's people as the church uh, God's people as the church grow, growing as a child and a grown offspring, the difference is the arrival of faith. But what is this faith? What, do, what does the coming of faith mean? How does this relate to our unity as a church in Christ? Because we must remember, even, even as we wind through Paul's discussion of, of redemptive history and, and the varying uh, ways that God administered the covenant of grace, the main issue throughout this argument in Galatians was to leverage this rich explanation of justification by faith alone to get Christians eating at the same table together again. The Galatian problem was not an abstract theological disagreement. Rather, they had practical disputes about what properly qualifies someone as a Christian, dividing them so that they were not even having table fellowship together, split between Jews and and Gentiles, even as believers. So Paul reminded them. He's He's not teaching them about justification as if they didn't know it. He's reminding them of justification by faith alone, arguing from this explanation of doctrine that Christians must be reunified in fellowship together. So I, I think that's helpful, as sometimes this letter seems dense. But we must remember that Paul's purpose was, in fact, a thorough and unshakable ground for the Christian life. He was digging a deep well for Christian living, using 
at times truths of, of nearly unsearchable riches to ground his practical claims. And so the main point that we consider today is proper Christians are those joined to Christ by faith. Proper Christians are those joined to Christ by faith. And that may not seem surprising. You've heard that said as such a million times coming from this pulpit. And yet the significance, the significance of the claim, right? It's, it's not, it's not to just put on, on the surface salvation by faith alone again which we need to be reminded of, the significance of the claim is its lack of qualifiers. You're a proper Christian if you believe in Jesus. And there's nothing else we can add to it. Now we're going to think about this in three points. Our education, our emblem, and our exhortations. So first, let's think about our education. We need to keep our eye throughout on that main exhortation. It's, it's easy to lose in lengthy doctrinal discussions like this letter has that central purpose for setting this material in front of Christians. Namely, they had abandoned the gospel because of their practices. All the way back in Galatians 1.6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. How had they done this? By accepting circumcision as a condition of salvation. They, They had practically, not consciously, not theoretically, but practically undermined salvation by faith alone. In the church itself, this error in practice had divided brothers and sisters in the Lord. For a brief time uh, before Paul rebuked him, even the Apostle Peter quit eating with Gentile Christians. And so crucially, Paul reviewed the the history of redemption, the, the different ch- stages in God's unfolding plan of salvation with special attention on the differences between Abraham and Moses. Not because these Christians had never understood these things, but because they needed a reminder of what they had already been taught. So he unpacks justification by faith alone. His point was, if God deals with his people for salvation by faith alone, then God's people cannot be divided amongst ourselves based on other practices. In other words, if we think about the the title of this series, right? The fellowship is undergirded by the faith. We must eat together because all our differences matter nothing in terms of being constituted as God's people. Faith alone is the condition of the covenant of grace. Now first though, as we, as we dive into our text, we've reminded ourselves of a lot of this background and so the first thing we see as we come to verses 23 to 26 is Paul is closing off this lesson in church history 
essentially explaining the difference between God's people before faith came and after faith came. That's the big division going on here. And so then second, the the next thing he does in verses 27 to 29, he lands his conclusion, the big payoff from this chapter-long history lesson. Namely, he concludes, since the history of God's people demonstrates faith alone makes us right with God, those who live under the new covenant sign cannot be ranked among each other. And this this point, where, where we are right now, just looks at that final history lesson in verses 23 to, to 26. That's what we're doing. And let's, let's, let's dive into this by imagining that you and I go to an airport. Okay, so last week we went camping. This week we're going to the airport together. So for some reason we're standing out on, on the tarmac and Empty planes are around us and, and the two of us see this, this small empty plane just sitting there. And so I say to you, hey, let's, let's go take that plane. We'll fly off somewhere. And you're gonna say, how in the world are we gonna do that? And I reply, well, obviously we'll just walk over there and I'll fly it. Just let's set aside the legal issues there. For just a second, for our purposes, this is imaginary, but you're, you're still gonna reply, we can't do that because you don't know how to fly. And that's exactly right, isn't it? You have to have lessons to fly a plane. You need someone to show you what everything does. You need to put under the instruction of someone with authority to point out the things you need to do. And what seems perfectly obvious about flying a plane, our need for instruction and and our need for learning under someone's guidance, well, that applies to all sorts of things, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's why we have schools. That's why we have universities. That's why we have internships and training programs. And Paul said, that principle applied to God's people in learning about what the Savior would do for us. When Paul said, before faith came, he clearly did not mean before anyone had faith. Right? He didn't mean before there were any believers. Since, in fact, he has already pointed to Abraham as the prime example of a believer. Rather, he was talking about before the object of faith, the the person in which we have faith, arrived. So maybe I'm, and and we see that, don't we, in in verse 24. He's, He's talking about before faith came, and then he gives us the principle, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. So when Christ comes, faith comes. It's the object of Faith and now let's illustrate this. What what is this about? You know, maybe I'm hoping that the you know if if it weren't Sunday, maybe I'm maybe I'm hoping that the post delivers a book that I'm that I'm really waiting for. So I'm hoping 
it arrives today. And if it arrives, and, and Sarah asked me then, well, what came? I might say hope arrived. Well, obviously, someone did not put an emotion through the mail slot. But the thing for which I was hoping came in the post. Right? So, so too, Paul distinguished before and after faith came. The object of faith came specifically before and after Christ, the Savior in whom all believers trust, came to earth. And so, God gave the law to be his people's instructor. Like you need an instructor to learn to do anything, to fly a plane, whatever it is, the law was our instructor. It was a guardian, it says here. But this, this, uh, this this isn't a a general guardian. This, this is a particular title. Okay, so, so this guardian refers to a, a particular role in first century society. These guardians were assigned to underage heirs to keep them in line, make sure they attended their studies and duties and and make them understand their place in society. The Mosaic Covenant had this role as that kind of guardian to teach them, to explain what their role in the world is and in the history of God's people. Why? Why did God put this kind of guardian in place? Because if I sat down behind the controls of an airplane without being under instruction, I would have no idea what to do. So too, if if Christ arrived on the scene before people really understood their need for a Savior, through the rigorous imposition of the law, which thoroughly revealed our sinfulness, and our ability to be right with God by our works, well then, if that, if we hadn't had that, we, we would not really have understood Christ's work to save us from our sins. The, the law tells us what, this use of the law under Moses tells us what Christ is gonna do. Gives us our instructions for how to be in the new covenant. And so, as our, our education, the law taught God's people about our need for a Savior and a need and our need for a true sacrifice, an ultimate sacrifice to forgive our sin. And that brings us to our second point, our emblem. And so we saw that the time that people sent, spent under the Mosaic Covenant was like being under the authority of a, of a flight instructor. You must, you need to be forced to read the manuals, taught how controls work, and get, and get good lessons before you get to fly the plane. Okay, but what, what was God instructing his people to do? by placing them in this rigorous training program. What was he teaching them to do? Paul tells us in verse 24. So then the law was our guardian 
our instructor keeping us in line before we're properly trained, right? Until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. We needed to understand our need for the Savior to save us by faith. And so God made it clear through the law's rigorous demands. We read some of them already in Deuteronomy. He made it clear that we can never earn his favor by our works as sinners. After Christ came, we were under this tutor as God's people. As we come to the end of Galatians, we will hear that the church is the Israel of God. So we were, we were under a tutor. After Christ came, God's people are no longer under the instruction, under a guardian, but we are graduates. We're allowed to fly the plane. But into what did God's people graduate? Full sonship. Right? Full inheritance. Verse 25, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. What's this mean? Right? Aren't, aren't believers in full standing with God? What, is, what does it mean that you graduate to full sonship with the coming of Christ? Were those under the Mosaic Covenant God, not God's children? Well, of course they were. But Paul's point was that salvation by faith alone began before Moses, certainly at least with Abraham, so Mosaic law can't define how to be right with God. It teaches you something different. Abraham and other believers were certainly God's children before and under Sinai. But sometimes children get grounded, don't they? Privileges are removed to make a point. Children get put under a more rigorously imposed set of rules to teach a lesson, to grow them, to correct and instruct them in what the right way is. And that happened under Moses. God put his people, his heirs, his children, under this instructive covenant with rigorous demands to ground them, to teach them a lesson, to withhold some of the freedom of of sonly privileges so that they would understand better. Namely, sinners... Needed to see more clearly. We need a clear understanding of one, that we need salvation. Two, that we cannot earn that salvation. Three, that salvation must, must be by faith alone. And finally, faith is in a true sacrifice who would fulfill all of these passing, daily, reoccurring animal sacrifices. We need a final one. Jesus Christ. With Christ coming, we don't need that instruction anymore. The point has been made and we see the reality. God's people are freed from their grounding, given full privileges as heirs. 
And now notice that, that verse 27 and 29 explains why this full sonship is the case. Right? We, we miss this, I think. We, we rush past some of these explanations that, that really anchor what's happening. You are all God's sons. And keep it, keep in mind, in the first century, in the first century, only sons could inherit. Only sons could get an inheritance. So Paul is not ignoring women, but addressing the whole church, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, whether, whether you have, whatever status you have, whatever your ethnicity is, he's addressing everyone as a full heir, with a full inheritance. You are all, all of you, God's sons, full heirs to the promises, because because as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Note his appeal here to baptism. In the Old Testament, circumcision was given to Jews, but not to foreigners. Right? So that's one of the... We're, we're thinking about these distinctions that he lists and addressed is here. Circumcision was given to Jews, but not to foreigners. It was given to indentured servants or slaves here, belong, working for Jews, but, but it was, circumcision wasn't given to freedmen living in, in the community. And circumcision was given to men, but not to women. Whereas the sign of entry under the old covenant created divisions. It was given to some and not to all. The new covenant sign, baptism, goes to everybody. No divisions left. The point is certainly not to remove every difference between church members. This is, these verses have been used for every social agenda and status agenda imaginable. But that's, not the, the point is not to undermine and remove every difference in the church. Rather, the point is that regardless of ethnicity, regardless of how well your job pays, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, Jesus Christ makes you a full heir in his kingdom by faith. Everybody in God's people today, everybody gets marked with the covenant sign. It's our emblem. Our emblem, baptism, stamps every Christian equally with the right to inheritance. And that brings us to our final point. Our exhortations. And this point is really trying to pull all of this together into some applications for us. Now first, we're a Bible reading church, right? And so uh, I want to I want to think in light of that that I hope that this helps us as we read scripture. This this passage highlights how the Old Testament is important for Christians. The story of Israel is the story of us while we were under instruction, while we were under age, while we were grounded. That was not a different God and not a different people in the Old Testament. And so the big payoff here is that 
we should never come to the conclusion of something like, well, that happened in the Old Testament, but now we live in the New. As if it just doesn't matter, as if God changed trajectory. There are differences between how we live as the church and how Israel lived as a nation, certainly. We don't have a theocracy. That's a a big one. But the same God dealt with the same people for the same salvation through faith in the same Savior, whether his people were under age or of age. So the difference is, what are the instructive principles in the old? And have we learned them today so that we can be thankful we don't need them anymore? The second, hopefully that, hopefully that gives you some tools as you, as you read the Bible. But second, more, more practically, I want to highlight how baptism matters for church life. For church life. This is about our cleansing and renewal, right? But here we see baptism is a, a community bath. We, we all receive it in the company of God's people. Everyone gets wet under the, the name of the same triune God. And everyone who does that is equally important in this place. In God's sight, each and every single one of you are his full heirs. And that means nobody has different footing in the church. Every member of this congregation is equally valuable. Our views are not more important because we're, we're a man or a woman, neither because we have higher or lower paying jobs, neither because of where we come from, the three direct things Paul lists. Someone's wisdom must be analyzed, certainly. We take account of that. We contribute different roles to church life. But we are all God's full heirs, receiving everything equally that Christ has earned for us. We can't lean on, I'm older, I'm younger, I've been here longer, I'm from a, a more informed background, I have new insight. Now hear me clearly, hear me clearly, right? All of these factors may give you insight that proves particularly helpful as you relate to other Christians or contribute to a discussion. Those are factors that can weigh in as you make your contribution. Right, that help you contribute wisely. But none of those things, nor, nor simply being your pastor, right? That's another one. My view doesn't carry the day just because I'm a pastor. None of these things make us in ourselves to be someone who merits that our view is better. We, we seek God together in prayer, as the community, as the church. Now here's the the way I want to 
frame this, to, to help us, you know, there's things ahead right before us. There's going to be other things ahead in the future for us as a church. And, and here's the, here's the way I want to frame this to help us keep it in mind and, and before us as we go towards the future. Nobody wins within the church. The person sitting in the pew next to you, the chair next to you, this is a church where you don't win against them. That's not how God's people work. The church wins or loses together. Full stop. We don't get our way within the church. We can't think that way. Nothing we do is about any, it shouldn't be, about any one of us getting our preferences. No, right? We, everybody wants things. But not, but we shouldn't think of these things as I, I want them and that person is in my way. We work to win together as God's people. If we start to think about winners and losers, Concerning issues in the church, we all lose. That's the out. Full stop. And, and Christ's glory is, is hidden briefly because we've thought about winning and losing against our fellow brother and sister. And so we work for the church to win. Sometimes that's hard. Family can be hard. God's grace is good. As Paul has, has pushed home for us, as we have looked at 1 Corinthians 12 in the evenings, the common good is our goal. I think that's, that's really where practically we, we have to learn to live. This isn't about what I want. It's about the best for the church. And we win together. What's my contribution to help us all win? You may disagree, and you may be right. You still don't win. If you're right, it's because it's good for God's people holistically. And all of God's people win together. Now, it's interesting. In this passage, Paul notes how the Galatians, the Galatians should quit insisting on circumcision because, it's very clear here, right? that's the issue in the background. You have to get circumcised to be saved. He says, no, you don't. Here's a reason. Because baptism is applied to every believer. Baptism has replaced circumcision in the new covenant. Circumcision instructed. It was another type. right? Circumcision was part of the instruction. Telling about foresignifying how Christ would be cut off for his people. That was the message it sent. The Savior will be cut off to redeem those who belong to him. And baptism showed that we are washed clean because Christ was cut off for us when he died on the cross. As we place our trust in the risen Christ, who died in our place, cut off for his people to bear the curse of our sin, 
As we place our trust in that Savior, we are made clean in God's sight. As with Abraham, so with us. Your God receives you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we trust in him? Do we do we look to Christ for our life, for our guidance? Then we are equally heirs to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that you are the God who is one and that our Savior has prayed that we would be one as the Son and the Father are one. And we do ask for that. God, as we have considered this, we pray that you help us to have this mind amongst ourselves, that we consider others more significant than we are, that we work for the common good, that we don't consider ourselves in competition for what we want from the church, but we look to see how the church wins together for the glory of Christ, for the benefit and strengthening of his people. Help us to live there. Help our hearts to be there. As we pursue faithfulness, as we turn away from our sin, we do pray that you work that in us more and more, that you would grow us in sanctification, but help us to know that that is not the ground of our right standing with you, that this growth comes out of a renewed heart given to forgiven people. And we're thankful that indeed we don't have to earn ultimate blessings or even the proximate blessings we, we have here. And so we, we pray for your goodness to us. We do ask that as we consider the, the future for us, we pray for wisdom and guidance and, and help in this vacancy.